0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Earfluence Podcast. I'm Jason Gillikin, CEO of Earfluence, and today we wanted to share with you a different kind of podcast. It's called Beyond the Obituary, and it's from Renaissance Funeral Home in Raleigh, North Carolina. Now, whenever I tell someone that I host and produce a podcast for a funeral home, I get, uh, well, kind of a funny look, but this is a project that I'm super proud of. In season one, we interviewed family members of loved ones who have passed on because A life is so much more than a one-page obituary, and it was so heartwarming to hear these stories, even when many of them had to deal with tragic deaths. But in season two, we're changing things up a bit and getting more into the business of death because it's just a super interesting topic that many of us are afraid to talk about. Like on this episode that we're sharing with you today, I interviewed Joe Smolensky and Heather Hill from Renaissance about life in the funeral home and what happens in a crematory. So things like, how hot does it get? Are ashes mixed up? And I know now not to say ashes, it's remains. What happens when family members disagree on what to do with the body? Do the funeral directors talk to the bodies? Anyway, really interesting content. So check it out and be sure to subscribe to Beyond the Obituary wherever you get your podcasts.
1: People say it's a downer. I've heard people say to me, I don't know how you do this, I just care too much. And I take a lot of offense to that, like we don't care too much. Once we're desensitized to the fact that these people are having, some of them are having the worst day of their life, that we don't care. We actually do care a lot. And when we take the role as the helper or the guide or the person that is walking with them through this journey, when you're giving back, it helps you deal with the pain that you're hearing from them or seeing them display.
2: Yeah, it's not an easy business. It's not for everybody. But there is a level or an aspect of it that you're giving back, and that that's what the focus is. It's what you're providing for these people. There are times still, after I've been doing this now for 16, 17 years, where I will on occasion still question myself if I'm doing a good enough job for this family.
0: You're listening to the Beyond the Obituary podcast from Renaissance Funeral Home in Raleigh, North Carolina. I'm your host, Jason Gilligan. On season one, we brought you stories of people who have passed on, as told by their loved ones, because a life is so much more than a one-page obituary. On this season, we're going to do something a little bit different. Joe Smolensky funeral director and vice president of Renaissance, will be the host most of the time, and we're gonna dig deeper into the industry of death because there are so many questions that most of us are afraid to ask that we've been at least a little curious about. So on this episode, Joe Smolensky, along with Renaissance Funeral Director, Heather Hill, come on to answer your questions about what life is like at the funeral home and what exactly happens in a crematory. For Joe, he is a fourth generation funeral director dating back to the Smolensky Funeral Home in Brooklyn, New York, back in 1920. Joe's dad opened up Renaissance in Raleigh in 2003, and they wanted to build a community funeral home that had knowledge and experience in many types of ceremonies and rituals, a place where everyone is welcome. Over the past 17 years, they've done exactly that. Now, growing up in a family of funeral directors, Joe had a different childhood experience than most.
2: My experience starts from maybe about 10 years old when I would visit the funeral home and be exposed to an embalming or a viewing or a visitation. And it was shocking, you know, just like anybody that can imagine themselves for the first time going to see a body, especially embalming. I remember that was probably the most traumatic for me witnessing that. And I remember I I tell people I I couldn't eat dinner that night (laughs) or (laughs) I didn't have trouble sleeping, but I remember I couldn't eat dinner that night. I was just so it was just it turned me off. But (laughs) which is interesting. But, you know, my father has funny stories about growing up in the funeral home and actually being so busy in the family funeral home. And it wasn't a big home. I mean, this is a city home, probably uh, 1400 square foot home. And they actually had to lay bodies on the floor at busy times. And he vividly remembers jumping over a body or two in the living room just to get to the kitchen. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. But, um, you know, those are some of the interesting stories that reside in the family. Um, But I did everything else, you know, like kids my age. And I got exposed at 10 years old, but slowly got used to the experience and I became involved more and more. And then in 2003, when we opened Renaissance Funeral Home, that's when it all began. Managing the day-to-day operations for me didn't begin until after I got my license, which might've been 2006. Once I got my license, I had a little bit more experience. And the late 2000s is when I, 2009 or 10 is when I became a manager and started to Get more involved with the day to day operations.
0: Gotcha. Okay. And now you're a certified, licensed crematory operator, which will last year. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll get to in just a second here. But Heather, let's get to you. So you are one of the funeral directors here. You also run Death Cafe here. I've seen you in action. You're very good at what you do because you're you know, so warm, caring, empathetic. If if you had to picture a perfect funeral director, it would be what you do basically. But how did you get into it? Like why why the funeral home?
1: Well thank you for saying such kind things, Jason. I appreciate that. That's hard to hard to roll off of that one, but thank <laughs> you. I came into funeral directing kind of late in my career life I've had a lot of other careers and I most recently was working from home doing web design and marketing and I I didn't enjoy doing that but I had kids at home and I was able to stay at home um, once they got older I was seeking another career choice and I was actually I like this story I was online at three o'clock in the morning and did one of those career builder quizzes online and funeral director popped up and I knew right away that that was something that I wanted to do when I one of my first jobs was at a a bank teller. And across the street from the bank was the funeral home that my family used to use. And I used to just look over there and just wonder how things worked inside and how fascinating the whole death and dying ritual part of of funeral service was. So I've always been interested in it. I was also a flight attendant. And when I would go to different places and different countries, I was always drawn to walking through the cemeteries. And I'm just fascinated with how communities grieve, the different rituals, different religions, and how it affects how how humans react to death and dying. So that was what my fascination was with the business. And um, wait, so
0: flight attendant to finance to web design to funeral homes. That I was seems an X-ray
1: like... tech in between all of that too. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and a vet tech. <laughs> so I've wow. had a little bit of everything. Yeah, well, so this you... is it finally.
0: You're you're a renaissance funeral home and you're a renaissance woman.
1: (laughs) There you go. I think I'm done with my uh, career choices now. This is it. I I think all of that really was built a foundation for working here. The travel with um, being a flight attendant and being able to see how different people in different countries live and even different places in the United States, how they, you know, just the human psyche and how different people outside of my own circle react. I think that was a really good Tool of learning, and so that I think that's really helped me in in this career path.
0: Yeah. So talk about Death Cafe just a little bit. I want to dig deeper into a, into that in a future episode, but talk about what it is and how you got involved in that.
1: Well. I'll start with what it is. Death Cafe is an international program, not one that I developed. And people question the name all the time. Death Cafe, why is it called that? I didn't name it. I just picked up the program and brought it here to Renaissance. And it's just basically an open table discussion of people talking about death and dying, their experiences, sharing experiences with our community. It's not a planned program. There's no topics that we're going in today. Okay, today's topic is cremation or today's topic is green burial. It is just, we do introductions and we throw out, what do you want to talk about today? And the reason I I wanted to do something like that is the families that you sit with taught me a lot about how our community deals with death, which Most of the time, they don't do that very well. And the reason is because we don't talk about death and dying in our own families. We don't plan for it. We don't talk about what we want. And seeing the turmoil of families not being able to decide, does mom or dad want cremated? Did they want to be buried? If they wanted to be buried, did they want to be buried back home, which you know, a lot of times is back up north? What did that person want and what is important for that family? So The lack of those discussions in the families that we were seeing was my reasoning for thinking we need to talk about this. And it has, um, we've been doing this since about 2016, and the turnout is great. We have a lot of people that come to everyone. We have a lot of people that just come and and listen to a few. But I've heard from many of our community members that it has really made an impact on them with the ease of talking about death, especially when you're not upon it right then
0: yeah and having grown up in a typical American family myself, we're not good at talking about death, mm-hmm. and so I've been to a couple of these death cafes, and it's really helpful you know to just just talk about it and, and talk about how it is a part of life and In one of those death cafes, we actually toured the new crematory, mm-hmm. uh, which was really neat. But you talked about how families you know, sometimes are uncomfortable figuring out if they want cremation, if they want green burial if they want a more traditional funeral home. like Are you involved in that process as the funeral director? How, do, how does that all work?
1: I think, ev- of course, every family is different. Um, for those that come in and don't have an idea at all of what they're thinking, I think with a little bit of discussion, you can hear from them what's important to that family. I'll meet with a family, which has happened several times, mom loved to garden she was outside all the time she loved to 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 walk through the park and she loved trees and I, so have you thought about green burial where she can nurture the environment that she loves so much and that's a lot of times an option um there are families that say you know what dad loved the water and we you know we want to scatter his ashes in the water so we sometimes if they don't have any idea, through discussions like that, we can come up with a fit that would be right for them. And they always want to do right by their loved one. And, you know, I we always discuss wherever their loved one is now, whatever your religion or your belief is, there's nothing hopefully but, but love surrounding them. So any decision that you make is going to be the right decision for your family. So they're always worried about what other family members might think or what they're one that has just died might think so. Letting them know that it's okay to make a decision is what's important, I think.
0: Yeah, okay. And one of those options here is now cremation. So, Joe, can you talk about building the crematory? Like, is it typical for a funeral home to have a, a crematory on site? And like, what? How did it all happen? Like, how did how did you bring this uh, to Renaissance Funeral Home? And then I'm, I'm curious to know about the process, too.
2: Sure. We've been seeing the cremation rate grow from 2003 when we began. I recall the cremation rate being about 45%. Now, 2020, it's about 75% for us. Wow. Yeah. And it continues to go up. With that sort of trend it only made sense for us to have our own crematory. If we had not made that choice last year, what we would have been subjected to was driving the body to a crematory and basically giving them revenue for them to grow their business. Yeah. When, yes, we serve people and we do a very um, reverent thing for the community, but we are still a business and it made financial sense for us and not even just financial sense but even time sense you know instead of getting in the car to drive somewhere and then go back to pick up the cremated remains have everything here and also control you know so all of those things played a role in that decision last year to to put the crematory on our property we already had a building the puzzle pieces fit and it was a quick and easy decision really
0: yeah. And I've seen it. It's impressive. So can you talk about it? Like describe what it looks like and you know why you've made it just so comfortable for, for families?
2: Well, I would say more than 90% of crematories that I've been to are your typical metal building or warehouse type building, tall ceiling, dusty concrete floor, loud just un- an unattractive place to bring anybody let alone a family that just lost somebody mm-hmm. it, it it would never be a place that you'd be proud of showing if you are a funeral homeowner and in the past most funeral home owners and funeral directors did not offer to show their crematory to to families it was something done behind the scenes here, I will take, I'll take your loved one from this point, And the next time that you will be in possession of your loved one's remains is when the cremation is complete, when I give you the urn. And that that's pretty standard. Well, we attempted to change that by making an attractive place for families to say goodbye one last time, even if it's just five minutes for families that want the cremation, but don't want a public service. They can pay their respects in this room. They can also just be back there to participate in the beginning of the cremation process. And by that, I don't mean seeing the body burn. By that, I mean just simply pushing the button to start the machine or pushing the button to open up the cremation or the retort. That's the name of the cremation machine is the retort. Open up that door. And, and some families want to help push in. Some families just want to witness the funeral directors push the casket in. And then the retort door shuts and there might be a prayer. There might be some some uh, quiet time for a few minutes. And generally then the families would leave at that point. But we created this attractive space that feels just like a living room. And it's an inviting space for people to take part In whatever aspect of the cremation they want to. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about the process then. So you mentioned that there's a retort, like, I guess even some of the basics, like how do you get the body from the funeral home to, you know, to the retort? What's that process?
2: Yeah, it depends, of course. Now, like I mentioned, the crematory is on our property. So for families that are participating in full, like Hindu families, they will actually want to walk the casket back to the crematory. And we're talking about it. Once we get to the, the rear of our main building, the crematory is maybe 60 feet away, not far. And we will simply just walk the casket through the back lot, 60 feet through into the crematory. It's as simple as that. For families that are not interested in participating from, let's say, a service that's taking place in the funeral home, they're just going to meet us at the crematory, we'll have the casket in place prior to them arriving and have, have everything nicely set up.
0: Yeah, so uh, the, the body then is in like sort of a, a mini casket? Yes.
2: Yeah, so, yeah, it has to be by law. That's a misconception, or maybe I'll be enlightening people here, but when we talk about a body being cremated the body always has to be in some sort of a container. So the minimum container by law is a cardboard box. It's specifically made for a human body. It's not just any old cardboard box. It's sturdy, and it provides the purpose of protecting both the, the crematory operator and the funeral directors from, let's say, an unembalmed body. We can just have the body resting in that cardboard container, and it's, the body is contained in there. Now the other option for families is a cremation casket made of wood. Families that want to have a viewing are able to have the body viewed in that cremation casket and it looks just like any other wood casket in most cases. You wouldn't know. The difference being it's got less metal parts and it's more combustible. You know, you're not going to find any pine in, you know, pine wood in a in a cremation casket. But in any case, we can use that as well. So the body's always residing in some sort of a vessel before we do cremation. And that's what the family will see when they come back to the crematory. The casket is placed or positioned on our lift. That's where we can have the viewing and if there is going to be one. And once everybody is ready, and once we also have to point out that once we have our authorizations ready, because Um, There is a 24-hour waiting period after death, so the soonest we can do cremation is 24 hours after death. That is also providing we have the signed death certificate from the doctor or, or health practitioner because nurse practitioners can also sign. And the cremation authorization must be signed by the family. So once those, those three parameters, the time, restriction, the cremation authorization, and the death certificate have all been satisfied, then we can move on with the cremation. And it's as simple at that point as pushing the button to start the process. The machine turns on when the, the cremation machine comes up to temperature and the button is pushed. Uh, the retort door opens. The funeral directors or the family can push in. The door shuts. And at that point, the cremation process, it's all computerized. It's about a two-hour process.
0: And it's it, its flames, then? Correct. Natural
2: okay. gas. It's, it's fueled by natural gas. Uh-huh. Ours is, anyway. I've heard of others being fueled by maybe propane. But ours is fueled by natural gas. And um, it is flame, direct flame. Uh, there are two chambers. Probably won't get too complicated with that. But there are two chambers. There's a top chamber where the body and the container reside during the cremation, and there's a bottom chamber, which is the smoke-burning chamber, which is why during a cremation, you can go outside the crematory, look up at the chimney stack, and you will not see any smoke, mm. which it's, it's you know, it's it's interesting because you're like, well, as hot as it is, shouldn't there be? It's amazing, actually, that it gets so hot that the smoke actually burns. And families will stay for a few minutes once the cremation starts. We've never had anybody stay for the two hours, not that they couldn't, but we just haven't had any family stay. Normally it's maybe 5 minutes. They will walk walk out and at that point the crematory operator will will manage the cremation. After the cremation is complete, we sweep the cremated remains out into a cooling pan. The cooling process takes maybe 30 minutes and what what you're doing at that point really is taking the the remains of the cremation which which are actually fragmented bone. You're allowing them to cool. And we then, after the cooling process, remove any metal parts from that. So some people have uh, hip replacement, knee replacements, uh, maybe even dental work. And we remove any of that because what's going to happen next is we take, that, take those bone fragments and pulverize them into a powder. This is the powder that people refer to as ashes. Okay. In, in fact, it's not ashes. It's really pulverized bone.
0: Wait, so the, the machine pulverizes it?
2: Yeah, there's a separate small machine that, it, for lack of a better way of explaining it, it it's an industrial blender in a sense. Okay. And uh, pulverizes that bone into the powder form that we see as ashes. And um, once the bones are processed, they're placed into a plastic bag. And that plastic bag gets an identif- two identification tags one identification tag that's required in North Carolina, which is a a metal disc that states the number cremation that this individual was. So that number is unique to each cremation that's done. Uh, That's a state requirement. And then not only that, but then there's another tag that has the individual's name, date of birth, date of death, social security number, and, and all of their important information. So we know who was cremated. And that plastic bag and those ashes then go into an urn
0: okay yeah all right so the the pulverized bones are the ashes so to speak now the casket is that going to be in that as well
2: it's not not a large portion of the cremated remains i tried i really attempted to figure out a, a better percentage of of what it would be i mean let's let's say you had the wood cremation casket that would be that would create a lot uh, more wood residue than let's say a cardboard box right and it's and it still even with a wood wood cremation casket you'd be looking at it maybe about one percent wow it's it's not much yeah because what's left after cremation is mainly um sodium phosphates and other phosphates that are left which is bone it gets so hot that you know wood burnt wood would just create just a, a, a very minute amount of carbon you know the black soot that you see maybe yeah. and and there's very little of that left but it might influence the color of the cremated remains so after cremation if you had a wood casket because of that black soot from from the burnt wood casket you might get a darker color cremated remains but typical cremated remains are a a light gray in color
0: okay how hot does it get
2: so we talked about two chambers the top chamber where the body resides anywhere from a thousand degrees to maybe start the cremation uh, can get up to 17 to 1800 degrees uh, the, the, the uh, middle area is about 1500 is, is generally where it will sit somewhere in there. The bottom chamber, the smoke burning chamber gets hotter. That is at normally at a minimum of 1600, but on the high end can get as high as 2000 degrees.
0: Jeez. Yeah. Okay. And you said two hours, is that typically how long it yeah, takes? Um,
2: the machines have gotten better over the years, um, back in 2003 during our, uh, beginnings, I recall cremations taking in some cases 4 hours that today take 90 minutes. So
0: you could do say two or three of these per day.
2: Correct, yes. We generally 3 is during a work day, 3. Some of the really busy crematories that generally are doing cremations for lots of different funeral homes, sometimes they don't they don't really shut down much but once a week. And that, and as you can imagine that that generates a lot of heat in the room. And you got to have a lot of good airflow, and um, it doesn't make any sense to combat it with air conditioning because it's just a battle. Um, you just have, you know, even if it's a hundred degrees outside in the summer, you just have this constant airflow, and you're you're just trying to keep at the same temperature as outside. Wow, yeah.
0: So I've got some more questions, and I actually asked people on Facebook about you know what questions they have um, because I said I would be doing a podcast with a funeral director and a crematory owner. So. based on their fears, their curiosity, what questions do they have. And I'll get to that in a second, but I want to go from the plastic bag that's marked and then it goes into an urn potentially. So Heather, let's talk about like, are there typically any ceremonies with that urn? Is it like a normal funeral? Um, Do they use that urn in, in, in some sort of ceremony process? How does it all work?
1: Most of the time when families want to do a a cremation or direct cremation, you know, there there is a choice. I'll back up a little bit and say the families do have an option to do a full funeral, full viewing, just like we're used to traditionally. And then we can do the cremation after. And then the families just pick up the urn. But I'd say many more families do um, what we call a memorial service, which they will have the urn, as we say, the urn present at the memorial service. And, you know... Traditionally, we're used to having a centerpiece. The casket is there with flowers. So we have a really uh, pretty table that we use that uh, we put the urn on the table. It's usually surrounded by flowers, a candle, and a photo. So that there is just like a a centerpiece for the people to focus on. But most of the families that have a memorial service will have the urn present. It's like you, you are having then that person's remains present just in a different way than we're used to. But, yeah, Yeah, and a lot of families do. That's what a lot of families do. They have that memorial service with the urn present. Well, there's lots of different choices with urns, and not everybody needs to have an urn. You can do the – if they're just returned in a cardboard container and you're going to scatter the ashes, then families just opt for very simplistic return. We have a Himalayan salt urn that can be placed in the water, and it's really heavy, so it will sink to the bottom of the ocean or a lake or wherever, and it will eventually dissolve and that's a really beautiful urn. Think of that pink Himalayan salt that we use. That one's really pretty. And then we have our traditional urn-shaped urns. And then if you're, it all depends on what the families decide to do eventually. And if they're going to bury the urn in a cemetery, then a lot of times we'll have them look at a cultured marble urn, which is more like a a rectangle, really heavy you know, swirled, like think of a countertop kind of like look to it. So those are all the different choices that people usually choose for their urns.
0: So did you say that some people bury the urn in a cemetery?
1: Yeah, a lot of families, you know, they're, they have a family plot or they've had, you know, when their parents bought these plots back in the 60s and 70s. So they still want the traditional feeling of being in their family cemetery, but they'll bury their cremated remains in their cemetery. So they still have that feeling of that they're back with their family for eternity.
0: So you've mentioned scattering the ashes uh, in the ocean or whatever. And let me preface this by saying that you're not a lawyer by any means, but (laughs) are there rules about this?
1: Yeah. The general rule for that is if you want to scatter on private property, you need the, the owner's permission to do so. If you are scattering in the ocean or in a body of water, you need to be three nautical miles away from the water's edge. Yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, I've I've taken part in some uh illegal activities then.
1: <laughs> we're we're just smiling over here, just shaking our head. You know, there's no cremation police out there, but you know, you should follow the recommended guidelines. But
0: <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Anything anything that I've missed as far as what the crematory is and, and the process and everything like that?
2: I think um if anybody was questioning why do we pulverize the cremated remains? Again, that's the law. <laughs> you know, the, the whole process is is really, um, every, every step is documented. Again, we follow the guidelines of the state, and there's a document that dictates when and what time and what was done during the cremation process. So we have to report that to the Board of Funeral Service, the North Carolina Board of Funeral Service, if there was ever a question all of that paperwork for each individual cremation is filed in the crematory, and that's it. And we're, we're audited annually. The uh, funeral home is audited annually um, on pre-needs, and the crematories are also audited generally not annually, but they are audited every two or three years or so And if there is any question as to what is taking place at that crematory, like I said, we have those files in place. So if anybody from the Board of Funeral Service wants to, you know, just take a look into the files. But uh, the point is that we are just following the guidelines of what the state requires. And I don't know of any state that doesn't require pulverization, but the whole idea behind the pulverizing or the processing of the cremated remains is to not have any parts, bones, teeth that are visible in the bag Um, when we talked about putting the cremated remains or the ashes in the bag uh, the state doesn't want you to be able to look in there and be able to point out oh this was (laughs) mom's finger or this was dad's tooth so you cannot see there's no distinguishing anything in the bag
0: okay gotcha (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, let's get to uh, some of the questions from Facebook and and Heather asked some of her friends. I asked some of my friends. We got some really good questions here. So Fred Larson asks, "Can donor organs be removed beforehand?"
1: They sure can. If the family chooses to be a donor, whether it's you know vital organs that ha- happen, of course, before the. The clinical death happens or donating long bone or tissue or corneas. That can definitely happen before cremation. That has no effect on any of that.
0: Okay. Now, this one doesn't necessarily have to do with cremation, more like just being involved in the funeral business here. Rachel Sheeran asks Do you talk to the bodies? I think I would. Do you have any rituals or things you say to them in good faith or wishes?
1: I do. (laughs) I do talk to the, not everybody, but I do talk to a lot of the folks that I'm working with. Amy and I both do that. She's our apprentice that helps out a lot. I think it happens more so when I'm doing hair or nails. You know, you feel like you're, well, if you're at the beauty salon, you know, you're chatting with your your person. So I'll just say, oh, I'm making your hair look nice. You parted it on the right. You know, I'm going to go by this picture or I usually talk about their family. Your daughter was lovely, and it's been a pleasure to meet them, and they're doing everything. They want you to look right, and they're doing everything that you asked. Um, it just sometimes feels awkward during that process to not say something. Or when I'm dressing them, okay, I'm going to put your arm through this this armhole, or lift your leg. we got to put your your socks on today it's just you know i don't know it's out of a, a comfort level for myself mm-hmm. and there's there's times where i have special families and a lot of tragic young deaths are tough and i'll i'll sometimes lay my hands on them and say you know your mom misses you or loves you or something just and that's of course of course helping me out in dealing with this tragic this tragic death so it, it helps me to do it sometimes i don't yeah. think i'm alone in that not, not everybody does, but it's funny. Yeah,
0: yeah I mean, it, you've got to do something, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can't, you can't bring wine to work with you. That's true. <laughs> Joe.
2: Well, I I have to point out that Heather is a very social person, <laughs> and uh, but she's got a big heart, and uh, I think that was just displayed there. But no, I I don't. Not that I don't. Have a heart, and I don't care. <laughs> but for me, it's it, it's more of just reverence, respect, and uh, I'm doing the family the honor of what they what they requested and, and what this individual that passed away wanted, and I go about it in peace, and I'm perfectly happy and, and okay with that.
0: Yeah. All right. Joe Sachs asks, what procedures are used to prevent mixing up people's ashes?
2: So... Cremations are always done one at a time. The retort can only accept one body at a time based on its size. So in that regard, you will only be able to do one cremation at a time. Uh, The only time where there could potentially be a problem at some crematories might be if they're doing cremations for a lot of funeral homes and this machine is just non-stop and the only the mix up would likely be after the sweeping out of cremated remains and and placing them in a cooling pan and let's say you've got four cooling pans or five cooling pans sitting in the room and you didn't accurately label ID those cooling pans or cremated remains. We don't have that problem here. We're not doing cremations for other funeral homes. We're not that that busy. Um, that w- we can't keep track of what we're doing. I personally do cremations one at a time and pulverize or process those cremated remains after they've been cooled immediately. And the tag and the ID follow that body or the remains at all points. There, There is just no question about whose cremated remains these are. And I welcome anybody that is listening. If they want to come to the funeral home, see the crematory, take a tour, I'll gladly show you what it's all about and i think it might put more people at ease we grew up understanding what it's like to be at a cemetery what a cemetery is like with the rate of cremation what it is today it only makes sense for more people uh, to get comfortable with what a crematory is like there's nothing to be scared of or afraid of come see it sometimes knowledge and understanding is peace.
0: That's right. And some people's, well, probably most people's understanding of it is what they have in their mind from what they've seen on CSI or who knows, Dexter or something like that. It it doesn't have to be a a place to be scared. Exactly. And and you've made that crematory a place where people, again, can be comfortable.
1: You had to choose Dexter. (laughs) (laughs) Love that show though. (laughs) Oh, I miss it.
0: I miss it. So Wendy Strong <laughs> asks, what do you do with fillings from teeth, false joints, you know, all the rods in people's knees and you know all the all the fake bones?
2: We remove any metal parts. After
1: the, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. after the cremation.
2: Yeah, after the cremation. The only the only um device or devices we would remove prior to cremation would be a pacemaker or any sort of other battery-operated devices. It's just common knowledge. Batteries and and heat don't mix. We have to remove those prior to cremation. And after cremation, we're removing any metal parts that remained. After we have swept the cremated remains out, there are hip joints sometimes, knee replacements, dental fillings, Correct anything along those lines. They get removed and put to the side. We have a bin. Any metal parts get recycled, and in some rare instances, and I'll let Heather tell you one story that she experienced, but some families may request a metal piece back, and we have no problem with that. They aren't going to look the same. They'll be charred or you know darkened or blackened from the, the process of cremation, but if a family does want a, a device back, Yes, you can have the device back. It's okay. And as far as fillings and dental fillings go, silver, gold, number one, those fillings are not pure gold or pure silver. It's, it's a mixture of different metals. And when the cremation process is complete, it's not like you get you, you have this gold nugget or this silver nugget sitting there like, oh, I'm going to take this. I'm going to get rich. It, it, <laughs> number one, it, it, it's not pure gold or pure silver to begin with. If a family member truly wants that, that silver mix or gold mix filling back, they need to have it removed before the cremation. And, and the funeral home will not do it. They can definitely hire a hygienist maybe or a dent- dentist to come to the funeral home, be happy to have that happen for them. But after the cremation, it's melted, it's changed form. It, in some cases, it might mix with some of the ashes. It's, it's not something that any family member would want back and it would have very little value. If any
0: gotcha, okay, Heather, Joe mentioned that you might have a story,
1: yeah, I love this one about getting you know I, I think the listeners may think, why would anybody want anything back? but I had a family. It was two sons and a their mom, and their dad had died, and they had asked me timidly. If that their dad had a rod in their leg and they wanted that rod back, and the mother was horrified, she couldn't believe that the kids had asked for this, and the kids I mean I'm speaking they're they're adult men now, but they had said right after their parents got married, he was in a really bad car accident and had a rod placed in his femur. And that dad brought this up around the dinner table all the time about, well, you know, I have got that rod in my leg. So, you know, you guys have to go mow the lawn or, you know, that rod in my leg. And so there was the legend of the rod in his leg. And these boys wanted that that rod in his leg back. And we were able to do that. And it, it, like I said, mom was embarrassed by it, but it, it brought those boys comfort to have the legendary rod back. I don't know if they share it uh, or pass it off during holidays or not, but they had a good explanation as to why, and I, I like that story. And we were able to do that for him.
0: That's amazing. I, I I wonder where that rod is now. Like, is it mounted up on a I wall? Know. Is on it mantle, just in I the guess. attic?
1: Yeah.
0: You know where where is that?
1: No, I love it. I
0: love
1: it. I love that story. I'll never forget <laughs> yeah. that.
0: Let's see here. This question is from Doug Henderson, and he asks, "To me, funerals and hospitals are places of despair. And how do you?" do it every day? Like, how do you compartmentalize?
1: I, I think that not every death is a tragic death. Of course, we all understand how sad death can be. But when somebody is suffering or they have gone through a disease for a long time and they are ready to, to go, ready to die and they've gone through the proper channels of hospice and the family is surrounding them it it can be a very healing and loving experience and one that i've heard families discuss that it was a beautiful experience and an honor to be able to be with their loved one during that time so while it you know this job and this career can be you know people say it's a downer i've heard people say to me i don't know how you do this i just care too much and I take a lot of offense to that, like we don't care too much. I yeah. think once we're desensitized to the fact that these people are having, some of them are having the worst day of their life, that, that we don't care. We actually do care a lot. And when we take the, or I can speak for myself, when we take the role as the helper or the guide or the person that is walking with them through this journey when you're giving back, it helps you deal with the pain that you're hearing from them or seeing them display. So I think by the role that we take helps us. And then when the funeral's over or they've come back to pick up death certificates at a later time and you can actually sit down with them and hear the difference that you've made in their experience, that gets you fueled up and makes you want to, to keep doing what you're doing because you really are helping people.
0: Yeah. And that's It feels like that's what you can do at this funeral home in in particular because it's a family-run funeral home, you know, unlike, you know, some of the other more corporate type of funeral homes who are just interested in, you know, the bottom line.
2: Yeah, it's not an easy business. It's not for everybody. Certainly wouldn't recommend it for most people. But there is a level or an aspect of it that, like Heather had mentioned, it's it's, you're giving back. And that's what the focus is. It's what you're providing for these people, whether they're, they understand what you're doing for them or not. And as long as I've been doing this, there are times still, after I've been doing this now for 16, 17 years, where I will on occasion still question myself if I'm doing a good enough job for this family. Am, am I uh, doing enough for them? Whatever, just just questioning myself and and what what we are doing for the family. And after it is all said and done, they are very thankful, and that's the reassurance that, okay, they've noticed that, you know, what we've done for them. And it's not that you need that because even if they didn't say that, everything would I, I would likely still be content, but it is nice to hear because when your mind plays those games with you saying, are you doing enough for the family? Did you, are you doing it right? Did you do everything you should have done? Could you have done more? And when that comes out and someone says, thank you so much for helping us, that's like, oh, okay. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thank you for adding that. Well, this has been super interesting. I mean, thank you for sharing all about the, the funeral home, all about the crematory. I know people were curious. I was curious. And I think you answered their questions very well. So how can people find Renaissance Funeral Home and, and, and contact you too?
2: The easiest way is the website. Everything would be there. The email address, phone number. Uh, website is rfhr.com. Okay.
1: And we're on Facebook and Instagram oh, well, and Thank you. as well. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yep. And then, Joe, you're going to be doing more hosting of this show. You're going to be on the show more. Yes. And we've already recorded a couple episodes and you've got more in the queue. So talk about who you have coming up. And it's going to be more about the business of of death and dying and funeral homes.
2: Those They're all going to be interesting topics. We, we don't want to bore people. We think that these would be topics that most people would be very interested in. And if we can put any other topics out there that people would like to hear, please email us. Get in contact and say, I'd love to hear, hear an episode about this or that.
0: When you're asking for that, people are some people are going to be interested in how does embalming work? Exactly, we'd like, love to hear that. You know, are you worried about ghosts? You know, yeah,
2: we'd love to hear that too. Any anything that's on someone's mind that we can, if we have to combine a few topics into one episode. But would love to hear what's on your mind, what interests you about anything that we could contribute.
0: That was Joe Smolinski and Heather Hill from Renaissance Funeral Home in Raleigh, North Carolina. You can find more on Renaissance by visiting rfhr.com. This season, we'll be hearing more about the death industry, including upcoming episodes about anatomical gifting, organ donation, green burial, and how to become a funeral director. To be updated, be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Beyond the Obituary is edited and produced by EarFluence. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you in two weeks with a new episode of Beyond the Obituary.